0: I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Charity, the Bond of Perfectness. Now, if you're anything like me, when you see those words chained together, your brain has no place to store that kind of language. Charity, the Bond of Perfectness. What in the world does that mean? Charity is the word the Apostle Paul chose to substitute for love, occasionally, as he would write the Bible. Charity means love. The word charity means benevolent goodwill, or it literally means the love of humanity. That's why we're charitable to humanity, because we love, we care. So now it begins to make a little more sense when we say love, the bond of perfectness. When I think of the word bond, there are several things that come to my mind. I think of the bond of holy matrimony. I think of the bond of brotherhood. I think of the bond that takes place at breastfeeding. I think of the bond of peace. And when you think about what is the common denominator between all these bonds and the common denominator is that they unite. Brother to brother in brotherhood is united. Mother to child is united through bonding, through breastfeeding. Peace, nations are bonded together. And so the common denominator is that they unite, they bring people together. So when I say charity, the bond of perfectness, what I'm saying is love is the uniting principle of perfectness. And, of course, when we use the word perfectness, what I'm literally saying is it means completeness. It means perfection. That one's a little easier to understand. So that title translates as love, the unifying force, if you will, the unity that brings us into completeness, brings us into perfection. It's a state of being is what it refers to, of completeness and perfection. In fact, I find it interesting because when I looked it up, the word bond in the Greek is defined as a ligament. Therefore, love is the ligament which attaches various members of the body, not only to Christ, not only to God, but it is what attaches us to one another. Without love, there would be no attachment. Would you agree with that? We would not be attached to each other without love. And what I want you to see through the message today is this, the bonding agent of our union with Jesus is not our love for him, it's his love for us. And when we discover just how complete we are, when we discover just how perfect we really are in him, then we can begin to discard all the adhesives, all the adhesives that we think tie us to Him. They show up in the form of performance. They show up in the form of self-righteousness. There's no need for the adhesives. Believe me, His bond is a perfect bond. We are not held together by our own efforts or our own obedience. It is in Christ, the Bible says, that all things consist. We are held together by His obedience. Obedience unto death, obedience even unto a cross. And through the message, I also wanna challenge us to clothe ourselves with love and kindness for one another. We have to be intentional about that. It doesn't always come as a natural response. We have to think about that. We have to meditate on it. And the more we meditate upon His love for us, the more we meditate upon how complete and how perfect and how loved we are by Him, the more it just oozes out of us, the more it just seeps out of us, the more we don't even have to think about it. It just becomes a natural response to situations as they come before us. The scriptures tell us, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And how does it say? In psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. And then it says, and with grace, with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Amen? The word perfect is typically used as an adjective or a verb. We use perfect all the time. You may not think you do, but I've heard conversations where people are going, yes, yes, perfect, perfect, uh uh-huh, perfect. We use perfect more than you might realize, but when we use it, we typically use it in the sense of an adjective or a verb. And so when we use it in the form of an adjective, the word perfect speaks of something that is in an unmovable state, unmovable state. In other words, if something is perfect, then it cannot advance to a better condition. Does that make sense? See, if I give you something and I say, this is perfect, and you do anything to improve what I've given you, then it was not perfect to begin with. Perfect means it cannot be improved upon. You cannot change it into a better state, okay? but when you use it as a verb, it speaks of the process of becoming perfect. In other words, it's still in action. It's still in motion. I wanna give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. I have to lay this foundation for this message to make sense. If I say that I have an automobile that's in perfect condition, what have I said? I've said that you need to do nothing to this vehicle to make it in better condition. I have used this word perfect as an adjective. This automobile is in perfect condition. It describes the condition of my car, and I am declaring that there's nothing you can do to make it more complete or more excellent. It is in perfect condition. On the other hand, if I say that I am restoring this vehicle to perfect condition, see, I've used the same word, but now perfect becomes a verb because it is still in progress. It is not a finished work yet. It is still a work in motion, if you will. It is not finished. In Psalm chapter 23 and verse 3, David said these words. He said, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isn't that beautiful? When David said, he restoreth my soul, that word restoreth literally means to turn back. How when you think, he turns back my soul? Well, yes, he turns it back. What does he turn it back to? He turns it back to the state of innocence. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes we get so trapped in religion that we think we're innocent one moment and we feel guilty the next. No, friends, you are always in a state of innocence with Papa. You never drift out of innocence with him. Why? He's turned back our soul. He's turned it back to a state of innocence. I want you to stare at that scripture for just a moment. Now, I want to, as you're looking at that, I want to ask you a question about that scripture. Which one of those 16 words in that scripture right now do you think is the most meaningful word? Is it the word restoreth? Is it the word soul? Is it the word leadeth? (laughs) Maybe it's the word righteousness. Which word is the most meaningful word? Friends, the most meaningful word in that scripture, in that short verse, is the third person singular pronoun, the word he. Do you see that? You see, he is referring to the shepherd from verse 1. See, verse 1 starts off with the Lord is my shepherd and then it starts calling him he or him after that but they've already established david has already established in verse one the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he is the one doing the restoring does it say that he restoreth my soul you don't restore your soul he restoreth my soul not you not me not us not we he is the one restoring our soul He is the one that leads us into righteousness. I am not in the process of restoring my own soul. I'm not in the process of improving upon my own righteousness, that the righteousness that he has given me, Jesus restored me with charity, the bond of perfectness. In other words, love, the uniting principle that brings us into a state of completeness and perfectness. Now, I want you to picture something for just a moment. Picture with me for a moment, a locomotive, a train. I mean, do you see all that power? Those things weigh about a half a million pounds, 4,000, 5,000, maybe up to 18,000 horsepower of power on that locomotive. And then I want you to look down the side of that locomotive because in large letters, beautiful letters are written the word perfect. Do you see that in your mind? Perfect. Now, that locomotive is sitting there all by itself, all of a sudden, the conductor pulls that into reverse and they start backing up so slowly, until the knuckle of that train and the knuckle of that boxcar behind it connect. On the side of that one single boxcar is written the suffix Ness. N-E-S-S. Now, that train and that boxcar, that engine and that boxcar have become one with one another and I want you to see written down that locomotive and that boxcar the word perfectness. Now what we've done is we have not only introduced a new word, but we have changed the tense of the word. It is no longer an adjective, It is no longer a verb. That perfectness has become a noun. Now, you might say, Mark, why in the world is that important? Sounds like an English lesson, doesn't it? I'm gonna tell you why it's important. Because perfectness cannot be used as an adjective or verb because it's more than just a condition. It's more than just a, a process of becoming. Perfectness, listen to me carefully, speaks of a state of being. Get that in your heart this morning. Perfectness speaks of a state of being that cannot be improved upon. It cannot advance to a better condition. In other words, we are not considered perfect in our Father's eyes because of anything we've done or by any criteria that we have met. We are declared perfect because the Holy Spirit has sealed us in a perfect state of being. You get that? You see that? The Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption into a perfect state of being. You see, friends, a boxcar cannot reach its destination without the locomotive, and we cannot reach our state of being, of perfectness, without Jesus. We are totally dependent upon Him. Remember, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name sake. We are perfect because of what Jesus has done for us. And as just as much as Jesus has changed water into wine, Jesus changed our state of being from sinner to sin no more. Charity, the bond of perfection has come and he has made his dwelling place in man. He has made his dwelling place in humanity forever. He will never leave you, friends. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love that scripture. Because what it tells me right out of the gate is we have not been modified. We have not been upgraded. We have not been updated. We have been made anew. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Remember, He restores my soul. He turns it back to a state of innocence. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Amen. I love that. About a year ago now, Valerie and I decided to have wood floors laid in our dining room, in our living room, and down the hallway. I love wood floors. I do. And because we got a new dog, I thought it'd be easier just to have wood floors. We had carpet, that same carpet, for a lot of years. And so we hired a guy to come and lay those wood floors. But guess what? He didn't lay the wood floors over the old carpet. The old carpet was removed and the old carpet was discarded. Friends, when we come to Christ, understand this, when we come to Christ, the old man is removed. The old man is discarded. He is discarded. Jesus didn't just sweep him under the rug and say, I'll pull him out later. No, he's removed. He has been discarded. We have a new nature. Our new nature does not coexist or it does not live over the top of our old nature. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new in Christ. And to say that we have the old man living under the new man is a mixture doctrine, friends. And that's what keeps people in a state of guilt and shame, and fear, and condemnation, you'll never get free if you feel like there's always an old man, an old flesh man, an old self man living on the inside of your spirit, you have been set totally free from the old man, he has been removed, he has been discarded, he has been hauled away, whether he was kicking and screaming or not, I don't know, I don't care, he has been removed once for all, you see under the new covenant, we have a better covenant. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The carpet has been removed. The shag carpet heart has been taken away, friends. It's been removed and discarded when it took place at salvation. That's when the old man left. The ligament of love has eternally connected us to Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 is telling us plainly that when a man comes to Christ, the Father changes that man's state of being. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are living in a state of perfectness in Christ. Amen. When Valerie and I first married, she received a name change. She took on my name last name. Now, she may have had more that belonged to her at the time than I did. I was pretty poor at the time. But not only did she get a name change, but everything I had suddenly became hers, and everything hers became mine. And everything I would acquire, everything I would buy after that, all became Valerie's as well. Now, suppose Valerie had a fleshhead moment. And while I was at work, she decided to spend all the money in the checking account, spend all the money in the savings account. Can you picture her doing that? I can't. But can you picture that for a second? But guess what? Too bad, so sad. Everything I have is hers. And if I took that before a judge and I said, judge, while I was working, Valerie spent all of our money He would just laugh at me probably because he would say, hey, what's yours is hers. You share the account. That's a domestic situation you got there. I can't solve that. It works the same in the spiritual realm, friends. Everything Jesus is, hear me on this now. Everything Jesus is and everything Jesus possesses is ours. That's a hard thing for people to understand. Everything he is, is ours. Everything he possesses, we have access to. Why? Because we are one with Christ. We are one with Christ. We've had a name change. He has slipped the ring of oneness over our hearts, friends, and he calls us his bride. I love that. Therefore, His holiness is my holiness. His righteousness is my righteousness. His innocence is my innocence. His wisdom is my wisdom. His sanctification, my sanctification. His redemption, my redemption. His purity, my purity. His loveliness, my loveliness. Do you get that picture? Do you see that? Everything he is, everything he has is yours. It's mine. It's ours. He gave it all to us. Guess what? His father is my father. It's not more his father than it is my father. But I love this. His perfectness, that is his state of being now. His perfectness is my perfectness. Doesn't the scriptures tell us as he is? So are we in this world? Absolutely. It tells us that. We are no longer in the process of becoming. We were made perfect in Christ. Another way to say we've been made perfect in Christ is to say that we have been made complete. Hear me on that. Underscore that in your heart this morning. We have been made complete in Christ. What's the point of a message like this? Get condemnation off of you. Get guilt off you. These are weights. Can you imagine trying to run a race holding a hundred pound barbell set? And you can't even hardly walk with that much weight. Guilt is a weight. Shame is a weight. Condemnation a weight. Fear is a weight. And we try to walk through this life. We try to course our way through this life with all these weights on us. So when we understand that the message, the gospel of grace, is that it is a finished work. What is Jesus is ours. Who Jesus is, is who we are. Now we can live life. We can see good days. We can live life so freely like I said, another way to say perfect is to say that we are complete in Christ. I want you to see this from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Look at that word perfectness. The first thing it says is completeness. Now, friends, I just reached back and grabbed a dictionary that's almost 200 years old. And the first word that he describes perfectness with is completeness. We are complete in Christ. Completeness, he says, consummate, which just literally means we're, we're flawless in him. Excellence or perfection the highest degree of goodness or holiness of which man is capable of in his life. So let me ask you the obvious question. How do we achieve such perfection? (laughs) I hope you caught the irony of my question because the question itself is flawed. I heard you, Bob. We don't achieve, we receive. That's how we get his perfection, working on the inside. We receive perfection. How do we receive perfection you ask? I want this perfection you've already got it. As much as when we add the suffix ness to perfect and it becomes perfectness, when Christ is added to us, we become like him. We become different. We are changed in a moment. When Christ is bonded to man, man is forever changed. Christ's love for us. Hear me on this. Christ's love for us becomes the bonding agent, the ligament, the covenant, if you will, that maintains our state of perfectness. That's what maintains our state of perfectness is when we come to Christ, his absolute love for us maintains our state of perfectness. We cannot improve upon it. We cannot advance to a better condition in Christ. And as much as that noun Perfectness can never become an adjective again. It can never become a verb again. Likewise, with us, once we come to Christ, we can never become a sinner again. That is good news. Amen. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 14, we find these words. I love these. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let me stop here for a second, okay? See, if you're not careful, this scripture can put you under a little condemnation, because it tells you that we must continue to live our lives in him. Well, the context of this scripture is, how did we receive Christ? By faith. So he's telling you that you don't just get rid of faith. Once you come to Christ, this whole kingdom that we have works in faith. He says, so then just as you receive Christ, you received him by grace through faith. That's how you receive him. He said, I want you to continue to live like that. See, we get so religious once we get saved, the church puts us to work. And we got to go to work and we got to please daddy. We got to keep performing. No, he says, look, I want to take you back just exactly the way you received him. You heard the message of the gospel. I saved you by my grace. You responded by faith. He said, I want you to continue to live that way. Friends, I'm living that way today. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live because of his amazing grace, not mine. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue to keep living like that. Does that make sense? There's no condemnation in that scripture. He says, rooted, get some roots, grow roots deep into this message, this gospel. Sometimes I think people run too quickly and they don't grow a root system in this thing. He says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened, there it is, in the faith, the same faith that saved you, friends, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And then he says these words, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, the apostle Paul wrote those words. He wrote those words and he said, listen, I'm going to tell you about MRSA. Before MRSA was even around, he says, it's a superbug. It's a superbug. It's antibiotic resistant. It's a bacteria that's a nasty bacteria. He said, I've got a different name for it. I call it hollow and deceptive philosophy. He said, stay away from that. You don't need that. You need Christ. You need his grace. You need his love. You need to understand that you are perfect in him. Stay away from that philosophy. Stay away from those things. He says, because those things depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He they won't do you any good. He said, stay away from those things. And sometimes I think, well-meaning ministers, minister words sometimes, and it puts us under condemnation. Jesus is never about putting us under condemnation, friends. Never. He's about drawing us out of the shadows. He's about drawing us out of the darkness. He's about taking away the mercy bugs. He is always there to bring us into the light and bring us into the revelation of his love and the revelation of how perfect and how complete we are in him. That's what he's about. Continue and he says these words. He says, for in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Look at those words. Look at those next words. And you are complete in him. I highlighted them because I didn't want you to miss it. Look at that. I mean, he's literally saying you are perfect in him. Friends, this is in the Bible. I don't care what version you read, you can go to all of them. It may use a different adjective for that, but it will tell you the same thing. You are perfect in him. Christ, he says, which is the head of all principality and power. He is the head over every power and authority. And then it says, in him, you were also circumcised. Now that seems like it throws a little bit of a curveball. What do you mean we were circumcised in him? Let me give you a good way to remember what they're talking about right here. And I thought about this as the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart on the way to church this morning. The word sanitized sounds a lot like circumcised. Sanitize, circumcise. What do they both do? They clean you up. Friends, under the old covenant, there had to be a physical sign of your relationship with God. The circumcision stated that this man belongs to God. He has been made clean. Under the new covenant, our hearts are circumcised. But it literally means we have been made clean. We are pure. We are innocent. He says in him you were also circumcised, I love this, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. You know what I love about that? Because if it wasn't performed by human hands, that means human hands can't undo it. That's an eternal circumcision. Our hearts have been circumcised in Christ. Continuing, he says, your whole self ruled by the flesh look at those words, was put off. Remember what I said, discarded, removed, hauled away. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. The shaggy old man was removed and discarded, friends. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. It makes my heart so happy. It makes my heart so joyful. Now look at these next words. <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite scriptures too. He, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. As I was staring at that verse last night, the words began to develop in my heart, the word picture, if you will, of how Jesus' blood on the cross severed the ligament that at one time attached man to a list of do's and don'ts, wills and won'ts. And then Jesus' precious blood Reattached man through the ligament of charity, the bond of perfectness, through love, the unity of the spirit, the principle, the uniting principle of perfection. (laughs) He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Friends, look, all your old carpet was nailed to the cross. Your shaggy old man was nailed to the cross. He didn't lay anything over you. He put everything in you. Under the old covenant, it was always on you. Under the new covenant, it's always in you, friends. Let me ask this question to you. What was Jesus' motivation to be publicly humiliated? What was his motivation to willingly go to the cross? I want you to think about that for just a moment. I'll tell you what it was. The law required perfection and no man could keep the law. And Jesus knew that. God knew that. And so Jesus said, Daddy, I'll go. I'll go because if we leave them under the law, they'll never be right with us, Daddy. I will go. His motivation was love. Love for humanity. Love for His Father. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that He could restore our souls and so that he could lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He was nailed to the cross to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness once for all. Jesus was nailed to the cross to take away man's anemic and pitiful and feeble attempts to justify himself. In Jesus' crucifixion, he nailed our sin-stained souls and our tear-soaked carpet of condemnation to the cross. He has taken our sins away. The Bible says he remembers them no more. Friends, Jesus was willingly nailed to the cross so that we could receive by grace through faith the bond of perfectness. It's called charity. It's called his love. I'm talking about, listen, the state of being. I'm talking about who we are now. I'm talking about what he's made us to be. He was nailed to the cross so that we could receive charity, the bond of perfectness, so that we would never find ourselves in a situation again where what we have could ever be altered again. It could ever be changed. It could ever be reversed. I want you to pause and think about what I just said. It can never be reversed. It can never be changed. It can never be altered. I was talking over the phone last week, that's what I do, I spend my living talking on the phone. I call all over the United States. And I was calling the state of Utah, and a receptionist answered the phone. And right out of the gate, I knew that her accent didn't match the state I was calling. And I said to her, I said, ma'am, I said, "Uh, are you from the south originally? And it puzzled her for a second. She said, well, yes, she said, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I said, did you recently move to Utah? She said, Lord, no. She said, I moved here when I was in my 20s. I haven't lived there in decades. What's my point? My point is, she may have physically left Tennessee, but Tennessee didn't leave her. I want to talk to the person that will be listening under the sound of my voice somewhere to this message, who feels like somewhere along the journey that they left God. Friend, you may have wandered into another state, or you may have wandered into a desperate state of affairs, perhaps, but it's impossible to wander away from our state of being in Christ. Impossible. Remember, charity, that's his love for us, is the bond of perfectness, It's what holds us to Christ. And it does not depend on human tradition or the elemental spiritual forces of this world. It does not depend on our adjectives. It does not depend on our verbs. You'll be happy to know that Papa doesn't grade us on a flesh-head curve. (laughs) We would all be lost if that was the case. We are held together by Christ's love. We are held together by Christ's holiness, Christ's righteousness, his innocence, his purity. We're held together by Christ's father. We're held together by Christ's perfectness. His holiness is our holiness. His righteousness is our righteousness. His innocence is our innocence. His daddy is our daddy. But friends, his perfectness. Christ is perfect. His perfectness is our perfectness. Get that in your heart this morning. You cannot get any more perfect. We are one with Christ. You can't get any better. I'm passionate about this. Why? Because I see people bleeding all over the place. I see their hearts, what they go through. I minister to people like this all the time and trying to get them to understand that you are perfect in Christ It's a hard thing because they've not been taught this message. And if you care about people, if you are charitable in any way, you would care how they feel and you want to help them. But you're trying to undo this ball of yarn that's in their brain. Your brain kind of looks like a ball of yarn. You're trying to undo all this stuff that's been programmed on the inside of it. It's a hard thing. Like I said, it's a slow drip, but it eventually... You get it. You get this revelation. You begin to see yourself as he is and everything he has, everything he is, is mine. That gives me an energy, friends. I can't locate on the inside of me, but I'm telling you, it energizes my soul. It energizes my spirit to know I am one with Christ. I hope I sound like a broken record. I do. I am one. You are one with Christ. I want you to see the next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him, who's him? That's Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You love that verse? I love that verse. For he, that's daddy, hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us. Jesus didn't sin, he made him sin for us. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. There you go. He's perfect. He knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who's him? Told you earlier, it's Christ. And so the man that knew no sin, now we live on the inside of him. Now we have his spirit living on the inside of us. We are one with Christ. That means his perfectness is my perfectness. His holiness is my holiness. His eternal life is my eternal life. Friends, celebrate that wonderful truth. If I ask someone to explain the word charity, the way it would typically get explained is given to the poor, given to the needy. But have you ever stopped to consider what the kindling is that ignites the passion inside of us? and gives us a desire to even give. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Well, hopefully it's love because I'm telling you what, love is the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters. Nothing matters. I believe that all the giving should be motivated by love. God giving us Jesus was motivated by love, friends. It wasn't motivated by pity. I want you to think about that for a second. Sometimes we respond to people's needs and because we're compassionate for them, We see them in their pitiful condition, and we respond in some way to help them. Deep, deep inside of you, pity is not your motivation. Love is your motivation. It comes out in the form of compassion. It comes out in the form of helping somebody. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. Made speaks of a finished product, doesn't it? If I tell you I made pies today, what does it tell you? They're already done. If I tell you I'm making pies today, what does that tell you? They're in the oven. It doesn't say make up there. It says we've been made. It's past tense. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. We've got to open our hearts, open our minds to this big 14 letter word, righteousness, and see it for what it is. It's Christ. It's not just some sort of substance thing. It's Christ. He is righteousness. He is our righteousness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, very familiar scriptures, I want you to see these words. The Apostle Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and then he uses that word, and have not charity. This is in the King James now. And have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I've said it so many times, having been in percussion and played the cymbals, they are annoying all by themselves. They're a terribly annoying instrument, gongs, cymbals. You don't want to just play them by themselves, friends. You'll just run everybody out of the house. And he said, look, if I do all this stuff but have not love, I'm like cymbals clanging all the time. I'm like brass going off all the time. He said, it's just annoying. It does no good for anybody. Everybody will want to get out from underneath that. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, that's love, I have become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery. See, everybody wants that gift, don't they? They want that gift, man. Now they want that gift. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. If I had to choose between that gift and just be able to go around and deposit grace in a person's heart, I understand they can work together, but if I had to choose between those two, I would choose this gospel of grace to put it in somebody's heart because I've seen people get so set so free. You see, prophesying over somebody only excites them for a little while. They get all charged up. They think daddy loves them. Daddy took time to speak to them. But I'm telling you, find them a week later. They're still in the mully grubs. They're back. They've slipped back into there. But grace will pull you out of that kind of jazz. They'll pull you out of that kind of stuff and set you free forever. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, these next three words are humbling. It says, I am nothing. Friends, I I didn't write this. The Apostle Paul did this. And I'm sure when he was writing this by power of the Holy Spirit, he was probably saying, you sure you want me to write this, Holy Spirit? Because that's pretty strong language. Because you got all this fancy stuff going on, all this tongue talking, all these things going on, all this moving out here, mountains moving, flying all over the place. And he said, but if I'm not loving somebody, he said, I'm nothing, I've reduced you down to nothing. Next scriptures. It says, and though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, that's what I told you charity was, right? All my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity have not love it profiteth me nothing you know the way the message bible says it it says i'm bankrupt without love i don't need to see any hands but anybody's ever went through bankruptcy that's a low place friends that's a destitute place man you feel like you'll never crawl back up out of that again it's an awful place to be I understand the necessity of it from time to time. But he says, look, he said, I've done all this activity. if I've done all this stuff for you. And he said, but I don't love you. He said, I'm bankrupt without love. Next scriptures. He says, charity is patient. Charity is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. He's telling us this is what love looks like love is kind love does not envy and friends how do we ever arrive how do we ever get to the point where we're always kind or most of the time kind Uh, where we're not envying where we're patient how do we get to that point by staring at Jesus's love for us you just naturally are not going to wake up and feel like going loving somebody It comes from something. You get this love from someone. It's Christ shining a light into your heart of his love. Charity is patient. Charity is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I love this. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And I think the scripture that really sticks out to me is the part where it says, it keeps no record of wrongs. I love that because God does not have a ledger in heaven of all your wrongs that someday he's going to say, you know what? Let's talk to Fred first. Let's see. What's your last name again? No, he knows you intimately. And if the apostle Paul said love keeps no record of wrong, another way to say love is to say God or Jesus or grace. All of those are fitting right there. Every time you see that word charity, every time you see that word love, you can substitute it with God. You can substitute it with jesus you can substitute it with grace keeps no record of wrong because he's not in that business he's in the business to build up not tear down remember the old shag carpet was hauled away it keeps no record of wrongs charity does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth friends i want to tell you something learn to celebrate somebody else's victory would you learn to celebrate with people when they're victorious There's something awesome about that. I was listening to Paul White in his message this morning on the way here. And he said something I've been doing for years. And I thought, wow, man, I was doing that, not even knowing I was supposed to do that. And he was saying, you know, when you go to the restaurant after church, he said, be good to your waitresses and your waiters. Build them up. Get their name. Compliment them. I've been doing that for pretty much all my Christian life. Why? Because I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm just saying what Papa puts in my heart to say. He said, you'll get your drinks a whole lot quicker too. (laughs) That's true. We get the best of service everywhere we go. Charity does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I love this. It always protects. Man, I'm telling you, your father is protecting you. Father is protecting you. God always protects. It is referring to charity. It's referring to love. Stay in context. God can be substituted for love. Jesus can be substituted. They always protect. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now look at the next one. Charity never fails. How many of you heard that before? Love never fails. Come on charity never fails and as i was staring at that last night the holy spirit took me back to psalm 23 again i don't have a powerpoint slide for it but he took me back to psalm 23 again when i was looking at charity never fails you see the man in psalm 23 the shepherd it talks about a shepherd that shepherd is christ they couldn't see him then but we can look back and see that shepherd's christ David said these words. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. And I've made a big deal about this word over the years. That word want in the Hebrew is chaser. You look it up when you get home. It means to fail. So what David was saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fail. David was saying, look. I'm not trusting in the power of my slingshot. And I'm not trusting in the beauty of my harp. I'm trusting in the Lord. And because my trust is in the Lord, I shall not fail. Charity never fails. Love never fails. Jesus never fails. Grace never fails. In essence, what David was saying, he was saying it like this. He was saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I cannot fail. You are not going to get to the end of your life, and God is going to say, well, you were that close. You made it by the skin of your teeth, or you missed it by the skin of your teeth. No, friends, the Lord is my shepherd. I cannot fail. That would be called failure of magnitude. The Lord is my shepherd. I cannot fail. I shall not fail. But it says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but look at those words. (laughs) But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Friends, completeness means perfection, and perfection has already come. He has already been here, and when he left, he didn't take his perfection with him. He left us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is of the Godhead as well. And all that perfectness and deity form lives on the inside of you and me. We have been made perfect in Christ. He goes on to say these words. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child and I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's basically what he's saying. He said, listen, I understand when you're a little kid, when you're immature, I get it. You talk like a child, you think like a child, you reason like a child, but there comes a point that you become a man. And when you become a man, you put away childish things. It's childish to think that we're still under the law. You have not read your Bibles. You've not studied your Bible because the old covenant was made obsolete. Just read Hebrews chapter eight and verse 13. It was made obsolete. It is no longer in force. He said, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Or he was saying, I put away childish thinking. And then I can look back and I can look back myself right now and I can go, man, I can't believe I believed like that at one time. But you know what? The Father will honor us where we're at. It's a journey that we're on. I'll probably look back in five years from now and go, I can't believe I believed like I did five years ago because we're in this progressive state. But that doesn't change the fact that we're already perfect in our spirit, man. We are 100 percent fully and completely perfect in our hearts and in our spirit he said for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known and look at these words and now these three remain faith hope and charity and the greatest of these is charity Man, wait a minute now, Mark. Faith has got to be the greatest one. No, it's not. Hope has got to be the greatest one. No, it's not. Charity is the greatest one. Love is the greatest force on this earth, friends. Friends, we can learn a lesson from faith, hope, and charity because faith always trusts. Hope always expects. But love, always expresses and in the wee hours this morning i heard the holy spirit say these words to me as i was looking at that scripture he said to me faith and hope can work in total silence but love always makes a noise because it's always expressing it's always moving it's always doing something our faith is not what holds our relationship intact with christ Faith is merely the substance that daddy chose to bring us into relationship through grace. His unfailing love is the source of our completeness. It's his charity, the bond of perfectness. My final scriptures. Colossians chapter three, verses nine through 14. The apostle Paul says, do not lie to one another for you have stripped off the old nature. I told you that earlier. We don't have two natures, friend. You have stripped off the old nature. If anything that keeps acting up, then it's just flesh. Like my wife has been talking about the last few messages. It's just flesh acting up. But it's not a nature. It's because our minds were conditioned a certain way and it just responds a certain way. But that can be changed. That could be retrained as you see the loveliness of Christ, as you see his perfectness working in you, as you see all of his attributes belonging to you as well. That can all be changed. Do not lie to one another, for you have stripped off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, not with righteousness. You're already clothed with righteousness. Not with holiness. You're clothed with holiness. But he says, I want you to clothe yourself with the things that people are going to see me in. Compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's where we see Christ show up in people. When we see loving compassion, when we see kindness, when we should be rude, we have opportunity to be rude, but yet we respond in kindness. When we see gentleness and humility and patience. And then he says, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Then look at verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The scripture that you're staring at right now, friends, was the inspiration for this entire message. Without love, there would be no unity. Without love, there would be no grace. Without love, there would be no compassion. Love is the bonding agent of grace and faith. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The bonding agent of our union with Jesus is his love for us, not our love for him. We are made complete and perfect in Christ. Our shaggy old man has been put off, removed, and discarded. We do not possess a new nature that coexists with or lives over the top of our old nature. Remember, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus has restored our soul. That means he has turned it back to a state of innocence. He's turned it back to a state of perfection. And Jesus led us triumphantly into righteousness. Remember, he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He has led us into righteousness, a righteousness that can never fail. You see, friends, a boxcar cannot reach its destination without the locomotive, and we could never reach our state of perfection without Christ. We are totally 100% dependent upon Him. We are made perfect because of what Jesus has done for us As much as I said Jesus changed water into wine, the same Jesus changed sinner into sin no more. Charity, the bond of perfectness has come and he has made his dwelling place in us forever. You say, Pastor Mark, that all sounds wonderful. That all sounds great, but I'm still scared. I'm still a little concerned. I'm concerned because over the years I feel like I've wandered away from God I want you to hear the same words that the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was visiting with a lady over the phone from Utah. When I said, you may have left Tennessee, but Tennessee has never left you. Friends, you may feel like you've wandered from God, but God has never wandered from you. God has never left you. The ligament, the covenant that holds us to Christ cannot be snapped and it cannot be separated. Our savior was nailed to the cross so that he could take away our anemic, our pitiful attempt, our feeble attempt to justify ourselves by what? By the law. That's why he was nailed to the cross. In Jesus' crucifixion, again, he nailed our sin-stained souls and our tear-soaked carpets of condemnation, guilt, shame, and fear to the cross. He has taken away our sin And he remembers our sin no more. You say, Pastor Mark, now why would Jesus do something like that for me? Because charity is patient, charity is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not self seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not dishonor others. Charity does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Charity never fails. That's why love would say, no, I won't let you fail. Charity never fails. And all these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. In Christ, we have a faith that trusts. In Christ, We have a hope that always expects, but in Christ, friends, we have a love that expresses itself from daddy's heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Friends, in Christ we find true love. In Christ, we discover true life. We are complete in Him because of His love, not our love. His love is the uniting principle and state of completeness and perfection. In Jesus and through this gospel of grace, we freely receive charity, the bond of perfectness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daddy, I want to just praise you and I want to thank you, Father, that in Christ we have been made complete. We are absolutely perfect. We don't need anything added to us. We are absolutely perfect in Christ. And Father, as that message begins to proliferate through the airwaves, as that message even begins to continue to proliferate in our own hearts, cause it to grow and cause it to expand, and to literally saturate every fiber of our being that what belongs to jesus and what jesus is is also mine why because we are one with christ daddy father i praise you i thank you for jesus's willingness to go to the cross in jesus's crucifixion again he nailed our sin-stained souls and our tear-soaked carpets of condemnation guilt shame and fear to the cross And Father, as we were raised in resurrection life and in power with Christ, there is nothing that can ever put us back into a state of sinner ever again. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.